This episode was brought to you by the great people on Patreon. Dave, Greg, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg and Pearl, Raul, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, captain of the Dr. Loomis cheer team. I've got one of those, those long sleeve male cheerleader costumes and everything, except, you know, mine is in trench coat brown. <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And we are smack dab in the midst of our Halloween, or really Michael Myers franchise review. For this episode, we're looking at Halloween 4. Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now... Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. Michael! He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Oh, God! Who's gonna be next? Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop him. We brought in a few big guns. First of all, returning to the podcast, Mr. Trey Whetstone. How are you, Trey? Great, Matt. How's everything going with you? Nah, you know, not too bad. I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, a PhD student who constantly having to take care of his wife's puppies. Other than that, life is good. Um, which brings me, you may hear some puppy noise in the background. They're sleeping right now, but that doesn't last long. So anyway, also, we are welcoming a first-time guest to the show, Mr. Ian Urza. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I have a big dog with me, and he bites. <laughs> <laughs> Mine bite, too, but only your ankles. They're little ankle biters. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what my wife wanted. I like big dogs, Ian, but my wife, for her birthday, she, you know, she can't have children. She wanted uh, something to cuddle with, and I'm like, well... Rottweilers don't really cuddle as much as like lay on you, you know, so <laughs> we got a couple of little dogs. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're jumping into Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. I can't imagine anybody listening to this hadn't seen it. But if you haven't, pause, go to Shudder, watch it. Um, but just in case, the IMDb synopsis for Halloween 4 reads, and this is a little unusual for IMDb, 10 years after his original massacre, the invalid Michael Myers awakes on Halloween Eve and returns to Haddonfield to kill his seven-year-old niece. Can Dr. Loomis stop him? Dun, 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 dun. That's a strange IMDb synopsis, guys, but so be it. So, <laughs> Trey, when did you first see Halloween 4? Uh, I was trying to think of this the other day. I think it would have been sometime in the late 90s, early aughts, when AMC rolled out like that, you know, week-long Halloween movies they'd play on oh. the channel. 
Um, I think it was sometime around then that I saw it on cable. Gotcha. Ian, what about you? When did you first see Halloween 4? So years ago, my friend and I, we uh, this was before I was really into horror movies. I think I would have been about you know 14, 15. He would just he had the DVDs of all of them, and he would just he was just showing them to me, you know, day after day. And this was one we watched between like a Patriots football game that happened to be on that Sunday. So <laughs> I have pretty fond memories of it. It was like a rainy day outside and stuff like that. Well, I'm not even watching my Bengals lose right now because I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. But anyway, um, Jackson, what about that you? Good, uh, rookie wide receiver. <laughs> We've got yeah. We don't have an offensive line though. That's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, Jackson, when did you first see Halloween for? Uh, first time I watched it was in 2018, according to Letterboxd. This is my second time watching it for this podcast. Um, I bought it on DVD. Uh, and a combo disc with Halloween 5. It's like a one of those flip ones where it's like really confusing which one is which movie because it, it's labeled on one side, but it's like, which side do I put in for it to play that movie? You have to you have to try it a couple times. It's like putting in a USB. Anyways, um, and I watched it on... Dad, I don't know if you remember this TV or not, but I watched this on, it on like a tiny TV with a DVD player built into it, and it's got yep. speakers on the TV. Yep. Um, and I loved it. Believe it or not, I think that's the best way to watch Halloween 4 is DVD quality <laughs> tiny TV. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, agree with you on that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not as this is not Dean Kundi. Okay, it's not a Dean Kundi shot no. movie. Uh, so watching it on DVD quality, not a sin, in my opinion. No, no, no. I'm for that. We've we've had that discussion many times, haven't we, Jackson? Some movies, even VHS quality, is a better, you know, to view. We were just talking about that with uh, Friday Thirteenth. But I saw this in theaters on opening weekend because I'm 49 years old, so I was 16. When it came out, I was living in L.A., and I went on the Saturday matinee to see it, and there was, like, me and, like, five other people in this huge theater in Universal City. But uh, I, I went to see it as soon as I could. I was pumped that Michael was back because it took me a while to warm up to Season of the Witch. I love it now, but back when I was a kid, I was like, what is this? You know, this is this is odd. But um, but we'll talk about our feelings about Halloween four. But what do you gents think first from like a 30,000 foot view, the plot and the screenplay, which to be fair to it, it was written in 11 days mm-hmm. to beat a writer strike. Now, typically a screenplay is written years and yeah. we have Michael being transferred in what I think is an awesome opening scene and when he learns about his niece Jamie and goes berserk on the crew and, and so it starts strong but you know and they couldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis back so you've got Jamie uh, Trey you first what did you think of the plot overall I mean the plot's okay it's um it's nothing um that's going to win any awards or anything but right. that the main thing is I think the nostalgia and just the the setting and stuff that kind of gets me here, but I don't think the plot's anything revolutionary. Yeah. Um, it's pretty paint by numbers, but again, like you said, I think they had to completely, cause they were, they were going in a completely direct different direction with this thing at first. Um, yes. And we'll with, talk about that here yeah. in a minute. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I, and I mean, originally even John Carpenter, Deborah Hill were going to come back. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's pretty good for, for what they had to put together, but it's nothing that's stand out. Yeah. Ian, what about you? I think this is, uh, I think basically you have these sort of apocalyptic themes in this movie, right? You have 
uh, basically like that opening is very apocalyptic in a way. Like it shows you, oh, Michael Myers is coming for this town. And then you eventually find out he's coming for this little girl. And it's, it's very, um, you know, trying to think here. Uh, you have like the two protector figures, which are like Loomis and the sheriff trying to protect her from this, you know, this evil. And I think that that's really interesting. And I've always liked Loomis, Loomis a little bit more as the main character of this series than Laurie Strode. I know that's kind of a hot take because I kind of like the. Oh, uh, Greg, Greg Amortis come looking for you. Ian. Yeah, I, well, and I loved I love Laurie Strode in the first Halloween, but I think almost anybody can admit she doesn't have much to do in the second movie. Um, yeah, I we do, just recorded our part two last week with Jody Branham, and we basically all agreed on that and that that episode will be out by the you know before this one but yeah i agree i mean she's given almost nothing right i mean because she's drugged and she's just kind of mm -hmm. crawling around and, and she has that horrific wig on and yeah <laughs> yeah and then you have one of the worst like diabolic ex, ex machina moments in the history of movies where she can't scream until they go through the door yeah. um <laughs> but like what i like about loomis is he's this doctor who you know, he's he almost becomes just as crazy as Michael Myers, really. It's like the doctor becoming just as crazy as his, you know, evil maniac patient, basically. And in yeah. some ways, you know, it's 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 almost equal, like which in the fifth movie, it basically becomes like this is the start of that trajectory form where it's like which, you know, which character is actually worse by the fifth movie, you know, by the fifth movie, he's like willing to sacrifice people and, and do all this other stuff to to take down Michael Myers. Um, and, you know, it's. It's instead of being this protector, he kind of go, goes from being the protector to just this guy who's obsessed with, with getting Michael Myers. Yeah, he's, he goes all Captain Ahab, right? I mean, Michael mm -hmm. Myers yeah. is his white whale, right? That's, that's and he's his Moby Dick. So, Jackson, what about you? What did you think of the, the plot and the, and, and the screenplay? I have written in my notes, the screenplay is fine. And that's my that's my note on that. Um, I'd be much more interested in seeing, you know, what John Carpenter had whipped up. But uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But as we the, the final product, I think it's OK. I was a lot more hot on it when I initially saw it. Um, I don't know why that was, um, but seeing Halloween one and two so recently, it just it kind of feels just not as important, not as interesting. I don't know. It it doesn't feel necessarily like a retread of either of them, but it doesn't feel like it, it has enough going for it. It's cert it's definitely better in comparison to five and six. Like this is a masterpiece practically compared to those two. <laughs> but um, but it's uh, yeah, it just doesn't it didn't have as much to offer. I feel like this time around, uh, the dialogue is is okay. Um, the the actual plot, the structure of the plot is is okay. It's it's definitely serviceable, um, but it definitely it feels less. Um, I don't know, less tense, less less slow, less intelligent, maybe, um, and uh, just kind of descends more into just her average slasher territory. Yeah, and and I, you know, we mentioned this. I want to come back to it though. The opening scene, in my opinion, when, you know, they pick up Michael and you have that great exposition from the security guard, you know, Jesus has got nothing to do with this place. Welcome to hell. Oh, yeah, that you guy. Know, that guy's so perfect. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I like that. And then you get the ambulance scene. And, 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 and so I think part of the problem with the movie, and I'm not, I'm not dogging on this movie because even the average slasher is, is, a be is a good time for me, but... It's, I think it starts so strong, it's hard to match it after that. That Those opening scenes are so good. 
you know, up until the ambulance crashes that I just, I, I'm not sure how they could have, you know, matched that. Trey, am I off base there? No, I don't think so entirely. Maybe it gets lost a little bit in the middle and stuff, mm -hmm. but that opening is great. I mean, I'm, I still love the movie, so it's not a spoiler yeah. alert on that, but, um, yeah, maybe it's not the best screenplay and stuff like that. And maybe it can't compete with that opening moment. But I think there's some still some really good moments sprinkled throughout, though. Yeah, yeah, there are still some scenes I really like. But um, but I, I do think it, it kind of, you know, when you start that strong, you've really got to bring it, my opinion, to keep like the pacing you know, at an even level. But Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean... If you if you want to talk about um, the intro real quick and that the, just the intro over the credits, I think is yeah. incredible. It's like mm -hmm. one of my favorite intros to any movie. You've got great use of wind and in uh, Dwight H. Little's uh, commentary with Justin Bean, he talked about how they did like research on like what Halloween actually was like, you know, like how it was, you know, at the end of the harvest season. And so they used all these images of what they thought was like, you know, I guess you could say ancient Halloween or the beginning of Halloween. I think it, right. it works really well, but I think it works really well again for that whole apocalyptic theme that I'm talking about where it's like, it just shows you perfectly well, like the, like, you know, hell is coming for Haddonfield, yeah. you know, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and it and it also continues kind of the boogeyman theme, right? Because we mm -hmm. we can see that he's basically indestructible and can somehow put a thumb through a forehead, which I didn't know was even right. a possibility. <laughs> uh, that was that was I saw the interview with uh, John Carl Beekler, who did the did that effect, and it, it was basically it's like yeah. it's a mechanical hand with a retractable yeah. thumb that just going into that guy's eye. But I was like, why not? Yeah, I mean, forehead. It should have gone into his eye. That makes sense to me. Yeah. The forehead is yeah. a little little confusing well, and i mean again michael shows off some incredibly supernatural strength in this one i mean he's almost more like the terminator in this movie than he is oh, like yeah. a slasher movie villain mm -hmm. at least to me like the way he the way he you know i'm sure we'll get to it but the way he kills brady later on in the movie yep. he's it's almost like he's you know arnold schwarzenegger and the terminator mm -hmm. not really a normal slasher uh, killer at least to me and can somehow hang on hang under a pickup truck holding a butcher knife yeah <laughs> yeah, I mean, that whole thing is weird. I mean, because, you know, people talk about Jason Voorhees having a, an ability to teleport. Michael, I think, has an even better teleportation ability because... Oh, my God, I mean, he's everywhere! Because, <laughs> like, well, is he... I didn't even... So are there any of those shots where they're showing that truck? Are there any of them where you can see him under it? Like, I just don't get it. And how did he get under the truck without I them have, knowing? Yeah. Like, like no, did it happen when... When um when they were in the fog, like when that fog foggy section of the road started popping up, or did it happen when they were all turned away from the truck right before they leave the school? I mean, if so, Michael has like the best timing ever for all this stuff. He's like, I'm gonna sneak over here, oh. like in the split second that they can't notice me. I have the ninja perk on from Call of Duty, so they can't <laughs> hear my footsteps. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's 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 bonkers if you start to break it down, but. I don't know, Jackson, what did you think of that opening scene? And was it almost like, it, did the movie suffer because the opening scene was so good or even think it was that good? I'm not sure. Um, that That's hard to say because I do agree that like the intro credit sequence, I mean, that's like some oh, of the great. best of the mm -hmm. entire franchise. Like just that, that's fantastic. 
Um, honestly, I think that's my favorite part of the movie. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that. And the intro sequence is good as well. Um, in the the sanitarium when when Michael's being transferred. Yeah, I did question that as well. How did he get his thumb through his his skull? Uh, <laughs> not not quite following that. But um, you know, it's whatever. Like Ian said, he is. Well, uh, he I mean, has... had the pin bobbed to the wall with a kitchen knife. I mean, yeah, yeah. that defies <laughs> yeah, that defies physics true. as well. Yeah, and Kelly with the shotgun in this movie, he's got some kind of he 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 lifts. Okay, he's he's seriously <laughs> strong. Yeah, I think um, I, I think that might be part of Michael's. You know, Michael, I think he just doesn't know how to use a gun correctly. I think he just thinks yeah. thinks that's how a gun is supposed to be used. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't shoot people with it. You impale people with it. Like this is a very odd looking spear. I don't really understand. I'll use it, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that goes to um, it's like one of those things. Slasher slasher movie killers. Unless you're uh, Chucky, uh, you can't use guns. So yeah. there you go. Or you can't shoot people with guns. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love how, yeah, that. That's a little meta, isn't it? I feel like it's at the point where they were getting a little bit meta. They're like, we kind of understand that this is ridiculous. Like some of the kills in this are are, are just just inching towards being meta because we're at the end of the slasher um, heyday. But yeah, anyways, um, yeah, so intro sequence was fantastic. Um, I don't think it, it really slows down or dips in quality because we get Loomis after that, and I love all the scenes with Loomis yeah. in this movie. He's just—this is peak Loomis for me. I love him in 1 and 2, but I kind of like him a little bit crazy while still a little bit sage and wise, and I think he kind of <laughs> strikes a perfect balance in this movie. He's half crazy— uh, half still got his wits about him when by the time five and six comes around. I mean, he's just completely lost his marbles, but in this one, it's still kind of, he's in there, you know, he's still kind of a doctor. Um, but, uh, yeah, people still don't believe Loomis. I, I'm not sure why. Um, well, that, this time the sheriff does, right? I mean, at least the right. sheriff this time is not like, oh, I'm sick of taking orders from you and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And we'll talk about Bo Starr, who I think is Yeah, terrific. I mean, it's, he takes a little bit of convincing. Like, Loomis really has to, like, go go a little crazy like he does you know it's like six bodies between here and richmond all that stuff um and that's that takes that convinces the sheriff he's like okay it's true it's true like you know uh, I'll, I'll i'll placate you because i want you to stop talking basically <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know i said this and i guess we should go ahead and, and jump into it you know originally you know mustafa akkad wanted to move forward at that time universal owned a portion of it and so they said, when John asked John Carpenter and Deborah Hill if they'd be interested to come back and write and produce at least. And they said yes. Now, to be fair, this was, Deborah Hill was doing fine, but John Carpenter had had a bit of a dry run. I love the movies that he did. I love The Thing. I really like Starman. You know, uh, Christine is, is a great movie. Really, it's a good movie, but I just... Yeah. It's a little, you know, kind of an outlier for him. But Big Trouble in Little China is fun. They live as a blast, but none of them were huge box office hits. I mean, he was he was struggling a bit, and so, you know, Starman was probably the biggest hit, but it wasn't a massive hit that he'd hoped for. And so John Carpenter's willing to come back, but they turned him down at the pitch meeting. His pitch was that we're not really bringing Michael back which was just a like universal and Mustafa were like hard stop. No, Michael's got to come back. And he wanted to like do this film where Haddonfield 
was had kind of become a psychologically haunted place by Michael Myers. And they were terrified of Michael Myers types. And there were people with PTSD who, who saw the image of Michael Myers everywhere. And the town had just kind of, kind of gone nuts, especially on Halloween. That was Carpenter's initial pitch. And they said, mm, no, thank you. At which time <laughs> he just sold the rights that he held to Mustafa Akkad. And then Akkad was like, okay, now we're bringing, you know, Michael back. But he had a problem. You bring Michael back, but what's Michael going to do? Because Jamie Lee Curtis had famously stated in 1982 that she was not going to do horror movies anymore. And, you know, and she didn't for another 16 years. But they had to find another target for Michael. You know, so I do think it suffers a bit not having Lori around or somebody like that. They come up with this, this daughter and that she had died and all that kind of stuff, which brings us to Danielle Harris in her very first role as Jamie, of course, which is a nod to Miss Curtis, her, her you know, the name of her uh, character. So, Trey, what did you think of Danielle Harris as Jamie? And how many times did you count that she said Rachel? <laughs> I mean, that was most of the lines, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I think, and to back up a little bit, yeah, I think it was interesting. I think um, Carpenter had initially wanted Joe Dante to direct mm -hmm. this thing. Mm -hmm. That would have been uh, interesting. Yeah, but it was too cerebral, quote-unquote, for them, that yeah. script. So, um, no, I think Daniel does a good job here. Um, I I don't think there's a lot going on as far as, like, you know, a lot of dialogue going on, but there are far worse child actors that we've seen in movies throughout the years. I mean, I, I think she's she's doing good with what she's given in this film. Um, I think she's believable in the role. Yeah, and, and to her credit, I mean, she stayed in horror and was happy to do so, right? I mean, her Instagram account is horror gal. Um, I think she has great emotional range, um, and that's continued uh, throughout her career. I think... Uh, I, I agree with Quentin Tarantino when he says this is one of the best like child actor performances uh, in any horror movie. Um, and there, there are a lot of relatable moments with her, like specifically the, uh, the moment where she specifically like the moment where she has to sort of gather herself and say, and say, you know, she's, you know, you're doing okay. You're doing okay. After all the kids pick on her when she runs out of the school. And of course, the really adorable line of I have a big dog with me and she bites that I said earlier that I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she's fine, but she's a child actor and it's, you know, you, you get what you get, you know, with that. And yeah, she's not given a whole lot um, to work with here. But um, Jackson, what do you think? What do you think of uh, Jamie, the Jamie character, Danielle Harris, all that stuff? Um, yeah, for a child actor, I mean, obviously it's it's uh, above average, I would say, for for an 80s horror movie with a child actor. And she's in it more than you would expect. Um, and I think she does a pretty good job. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think I prefer this performance to her later performances in the, the Halloween series. She comes back, right, for, for Rob Zombie's... Yeah. Uh, uh, movies and I, I think I prefer <laughs> I think I prefer her in this movie uh, maybe not so much Halloween 5 where she's mute the whole time um, yeah. but uh, I think she does a good enough job as far as the character of Jamie goes um, it's a weird 
plot logic that that she has to be the the daughter of of Jamie Lee. I'm not really sure why that that is. I mean, uh, we're still following the the story that uh, that it's Michael. It's all in the family, you know. Michael is trying to to knock off the the members of his family. Not really sure why that needs to be. Um, yeah, but, why uh, can't he just go kill? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was in the first movie. We, we discussed this. I mean, it's just like the only reason he's so fixated on on uh, Laurie Strode is because she walked right up to his doorstep, you know, <laughs> and we see that in Halloween, too, as well. Um, he's when he sees that teenage girl, it's just like, well, I see her. I'm going to go kill her. I'm not going to stop until she's dead. Um, I, I don't really understand why we uh, why we needed to to have that that plot. But it is what it is. Um, and I think Jamie is a good enough character. I think the the thing with her at the end, um, the the kind of oh, twist, we can go ahead. Twist, they got the twist, yeah. I think that was that was pretty unnecessary. I mean, they did the same thing with the Friday franchise, right? With with Tommy uh, Tommy Jarvis, they're like, oh, he's gonna be the new the new Jason now that uh, now that he's gone crazy or whatever. They don't. It, it, that definitely bugs me, but I do love the the uh, because we got that we get Loomis. No, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah no. that's one of my favorites. Me, me and my friend who you know we we've always sat at you know like Donald Pleasance is probably our favorite actor both of us, and we always used to do that that particular scene. Like there were that that was one of the moments we always imitated was Donald Pleasance going crazy at the end of this, and in and in five where he keeps you know hitting Michael Myers with a two by four to keep saying yeah. die 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 over yeah. over again. <laughs> Love, yeah, and, and Halloween Five as well. With when uh, when when he's trying to get information out of Jamie, where is he? You've got to tell me. I love Crazy Loomis, but again, I like the balance of this movie strikes, where he's sometimes wise and sage and calm, like when he's in the the truck with the Reverend. He's just kind of an old soul, very comforting. And then there are times when he's like screaming at the sheriff. It's a, par- a perfect balance. Um, same kind of. Yeah. He's the same character as he was kind of in Halloween Two. I love Can that. I ask- can I ask all of you gentlemen that that scene? And I like that scene a lot. I like yeah, the I was just gonna bring scene that in the yeah the scene in the diner, and then the scene where he gets picked up by the crazy reverend looking for the apocalypse. Um, would you drink out of that booze bottle? I'm just saying, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not no. sure how hygienic that guy looks. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, he already uh, he he sneezed on his hand and then shook his hand, so I think he's probably okay with drinking out of the bottle. Um, I mean, again, it's it, that that scene is almost like Loomis having a conversation with himself in a way. Like it's the same type of thing where this guy's like chasing, you know, the apocalypse, and he's like, you can't kill damnation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I I almost have like a weird theory that 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 actually that that reverend may not even be real. It's just like God helping Loomis get to Haddonfield and tell him to keep mm. fighting. <laughs> that's that's interesting because the in the novelization, and I think this came from the screenplay. I may be wrong. He actually shows up again at the sheriff's office missing an eye because Michael gouged his eye out. Um, but they yeah, cut all a that, lot of right? stuff that's that gone. happens in that police station that they just decided we're not doing it. <laughs> Might have been budget yeah. budgeting reasons, but oh yeah, there were oh, budgeting. This was only a five million dollar budget, and it was well. And they you know, originally the reason they were on the roof coming, you know, jumping to the end is because Michael started a fire. But then the right. producers came in and said we can't afford that, and so they had to cut a lot of stuff like that. Like and according to you know Dwight Little again, they spent a lot of money trying to make the town look like you know it was genuinely autumn and you know Salt Lake City with the leaves and all this kind of stuff. So they they seem to have spent a lot of money on that kind of stuff because five million dollars 
not a bad budget, but not a ton either. So you're kind of trying to figure out where some of it went because they don't do a whole lot of special effects in this movie. And I don't think Dwight H. Little was that interested in that kind of stuff anyways. I think he was more going for the suspense feel, like in that police station sequence where they just don't bother, you know, showing you any of the cops getting killed. He said, I think people can use their imagination. And that's actually that's actually better than showing. Yeah, it. that's what he was shooting for. And then when they finished, uh, I was going to talk about this in a minute, but you're right. Mustafa Akkad, who was the one who always championed the Halloween one model of suspense over gore. He watched Little's first cut and was like, this isn't scary. We need blood. We need more blood. And so they yep. went back and read all this stuff with with John Beekler. But I, I'll go ahead and tell you this, Ian. I don't know what Dwight Little was willing to admit to, but um, if you watch the making of Halloween 4, you know, Dwight Little, um, you know, if you're a director on a set, as Joe Dante likes to say, your, you know, your chief, your primary objective is to be the problem solver. You are the main problem solver. Dwight Little's um, way of solving problems was just to fire people. So he fired Tom Morga, he fired the original effects guy, he fired, and then the producers were having to run off and try to find other people. And so that kind of bloated the budget a little bit. And Dwight Little was kind of hanging on to his job by his fingernails because Mustafa Akkad was basically told him at some point, if you keep firing people, if that's your solution to every problem, maybe we should fire you. And so you know, that's what he kind of backed up a little bit. That's interesting because he had said on the commentary, I don't know, maybe he's lying. He had said that um, Mustafa Akkad called him to direct every single Halloween movie after that. Um, and he just said no. So I don't know what to think. I mean, with the budgeting thing, again, like you, he, he like they, they, you know, there was such, they were on a, such a shoestring budget at a certain point, obviously, that there was a big production mistake in that scene where Aryan Michael Myers, as I like to call him, shows up yes, for a minute, uh -huh. the blonde-haired Michael Myers. <laughs> and that's how, that's well, probably that's, how yeah, that's not the only had other one. one point. Yeah, Dwight oh, Little yeah. made a few mistakes. I mean, if you notice, did anybody notice that the scars on uh, Dr. Loomis keep moving? Mm -hmm. He didn't like to be in makeup, and they kept switching sides, and Dwight Little, when he cut it, was just like, ah, no, no one will notice, that's fine. You know, it's on different sides of his face at different yeah, it times. Didn't bother me much, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but as a director, you, you know, that's kind of your gig, right? That's kind of your job is to do that. But sure. you know, yeah, we get Donald Pleasance, you know, back as Loomis, as as we said, and I could watch him read the phone book, but he <laughs> does start to chew the scenery a bit more mm -hmm. in this one, or even two. In two, he screams some, but. That's when he's, you know, screaming to go get help or I shot him six times or, you know, whatever. But, you know, here he's starting to, yeah, he's starting to go a little more crazy Loomis. Trey, what did you think of that, uh, that choice? Yeah, I really still love his character in this. And I, am I maybe the, I'm the only one here, but when he's in some of his calmer moments, I kind of got like an Alec Guinness vibe almost from mm -hmm. him as well. Um. But, yeah, he well, he's certainly yeah he's he's kind of just like a half a generation behind Guinness too right yeah, the same yeah. theater background and yeah yeah so but I I again I could watch Donald Pleasance in anything so um, I think he does a really good job here too okay Ian yeah, I, I mean, you've like, already said you love it what do you what do you think of it do you, do you you know you've kind of alluded to it you you kind of stated it yet you know he. Do you think that Donald Pleasance chose to 
they're like, yeah, he's we're going more manic with this one. I mean, maybe he did. Um, he, I, I don't I'm trying to think of how to answer that question. I mean, he he may have, but I think it, it's probably just a natural progression at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. you see, you know, right away that he's pretty obsessed with, the, you know, Michael Myers. And it's just he shows up and he's like Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Like he's he, like nothing is going to stop him from getting to Haddonfield and, and taking on Michael again. Like he he just wades into that wat like that water, you know, in his trench coat. And mm-hmm. like right away when he goes to see Michael Pataki, he has that look on his face. He's like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> like it's one of those yeah. things where he just he, he he just shows up and he's just like, yeah, I'm I'm doing this. And and, and no one's going to stop me. Like when he says, Haddonfield's a four hour drive from here. Uh, if you don't find him, I'm sure I will. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Even though he admits he has no idea what he's going to do when he finds him. Um, he's well, already shot him like what, and, 12 and I, times I picture him, at this point. <laughs> yeah, I picture him just, you know, like Asami Yamazaki in audition, just sitting there by the phone waiting for it to ring. <laughs> for my, it's just yeah. for someone to say Michael Myers is back. That's probably all he's done the last, like, you know, six or seven years or however long it's been since that, or well, 10 years technically in movie time uh, since that, you know, first, first Halloween night. And that's yeah. what Laurie Strode does in, in Halloween 2018, right? She's just waiting. She's yeah. waiting for the day. Um, yeah. but Shoot, Yeah. She's just shooting, drinking and waiting for Michael. That's it. <laughs> sounds like a fun time. I don't know. I kind of want to <laughs> hang out with Laurie. Her family that, that, thinks so. What do you mean? It sounds like a fun time. That's Southern Ohio. Son. That's, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. yeah everybody's I, I think, preparing I, for Michael Myers. I think Donald Pleasance himself might have drank his way through the 80s because he aged a lot in the first oh, between like the yeah. second Halloween and here. Like he he aged almost 20 years. I mean, the, the, the special effects might have something to do with it. But no, no, it was um, if you watch the the Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray of Halloween Two, the commentary track is with Rick Rosenthal and the actor who played Bud. And Bud, at one point, they were talking about dealing with Donald Pleasance. And, and Bud, you know, looks over at Rick Rosenthal at one point and goes, um, you don't think Donald was bending his elbow a little bit in his trailer before that scene, do you? In other words, yeah, everybody who's worked with Donald Pleasance said the guy liked to drink. Uh, and so he, he drank a lot. And so he had kind of had that Robert Shaw thing where, you know, I mean, goodness sakes, Steven Spielberg sent two PAs to sit with Robert Shaw and try to keep him sober. And he ended up talking them into drinking with him. They were both in their 20s. <laughs> Robert Shaw got out, walked out of the trailer, you know, after consuming like an entire bottle of whiskey and the PAs were passed out. I mean, and Donald Pleasant <laughs> seems to have kind of also kind of been in there, you know, that kind of space yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, no, he, yeah, he definitely aged and he had problems. They And they, I saw an interview with Dwight Little where said that actually they couldn't have Donald Pleasance on set for more than four hours. But after four hours, he'd forget his lines. He'd lay down. He was just, he just got too tired. I mean, he had just aged to the point, and he had health problems, and it just it was just too much. So, yeah, he was definitely aging. But the rest of the cast here, I mean, we've got Ellie Cornell as, as Rachel, who all but all but retired from acting, you know, after mm-hmm. a couple years after this. Um, you've got George Wilbur as Michael Myers, at least most of the time. Tom Morgan is in there some of the time, but he got fired. Michael Pataki as Dr. Hoffman. Bo Starr as Sheriff Meeker with uh, his daughter, Kathleen Kinmont. Um, Sasha Jensen as Brady, the jerk boyfriend. Um, I thought the supporting cast was, I thought they were fine. I am a big fan of Pataki um, and and Bo Starr. 
Yeah, exactly. And I love Bo Starr as as the sheriff, you know. And I thought he was I thought he was great. So what the supporting cast, Trey, what do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's kind of like a a two-man cast there right when um Sheriff Meeker and uh Dr. Loomis are going on their their little escapades through town looking for Jamie and Rachel and everything. And I think they both deliver good performances. Um yeah, not a whole lot to say, I guess, about the rest of the cast in there. Um, although, did you, um, we were talking about the old script earlier. Um, were you aware that actually they brought back, it was supposed to be a bigger part in the script, but that was Lindsay Wallace driving them to the drugstore. Yes. And it was, yes. um, it was yep. Tommy Doyle in the drugstore. He was the third guy there talking. Um, they didn't have a line actually. Oh, I didn't were know about. Interesting. Tommy. Yeah, I did know about Lindsay. I didn't know about Tommy. That's interesting. Yeah, they were supposed to have bigger parts um, originally, but I think that probably got written out later on. But you mean they didn't want to cast that guy over Paul Rudd for Halloween Six? <laughs> oh, uh, well. So Jackson, what about you? What do you think of this supporting cast? I think it's decent. Uh, I did see that that was Lindsay. I didn't know that was Tommy. Is he? Do they ever call him by name, Tommy? No, I know that no. They nope. say Lindsay, but I wasn't sure about Tommy. That's that's nope. weird that they would. So it's just in the credits. It just says Tommy Wallace. I don't know. I read it somewhere. I think it was just a holdover from the original script. But that was the the kind of tidbit of information that that was supposed to be Tommy Doyle. So. Yeah, I was wondering, like, I'd forgotten about this movie. When I saw that that Lindsay was in this movie, and she was the cool friend with the car, she's kind of like Annie from the first movie. Um, actually, the more I think about it, Kelly is probably the Annie of this movie because she's the sheriff's daughter um, who gets killed by Michael. But, uh, but yeah, she. I wish she did have a bigger role. I think that would have been interesting, and that would have would have harkened back maybe more to John's uh, John Carpenter's original idea, which is just, like, seeing how the town is reacting 10 years on from that tragedy. Maybe we check in with with Tommy Wallace and and uh, with um, Tommy and Lindsay. I think that would be um, that would be interesting. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, the supporting cast is okay. We have a bunch of kooky characters. As you're we talking about, Reverend Sayer is interesting. I like Ian's theory that he's not real. He's just God or yeah, an angel great. or something. That's 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 really interesting. And I kind of wish that that uh, we had expanded more on that. I mean, we're already in the supernatural territory with Jamie and her like premonitions of Michael. I think that if it re if it's revealed that Reverend Sayer is actually an angel, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's an okay supporting cast nobody really stood out to me as like really blowing me away and george p wilbur as michael didn't blow me away much either but i think that's mostly down to this to his mask and his look which i'm not really a big fan of yeah um, we will definitely talk about the mask here in a minute he's but just, he's very he's very clumsy looking sorry to interrupt he's like because like there's something about the way his his like head looks in comparison to the rest of his body at times that this is very i don't know it's strange well it might have been the, the shoulder least, pads he was wearing it may have been his. that yeah yeah so i don't know if that threw him off or something it just doesn't seem like proportionate i don't know and were those just Trey, like, were those were those hockey pads that he had on i don't know i just saw shoulder pads i don't know if they were hockey or football pads but i imagine hockey ones are probably thicker than the the football yeah. ones so i don't know and he's yeah, a I don't, big guy right because he's like six two and a half whereas nick castle's like five nine so it's yeah. a different, it's definitely a different look, even aside from the mask. I mean, just physically, he's different. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, George Wilbur, you know, I know that Wolfman Josh knows him, has worked with him. 
and 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 Josh sings his praises. He thinks he's a really, really great guy, and he may have been, but the look is different. I mean, it just looks different. He seems to move differently. It's just it's kind of odd. They're like there there's that scene where we get that kind of ridiculous scene where all these teenagers are dressed up like Michael Myers and they're about ready to get shot by Loomis and the sheriff. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and they get you know, they get Jamie and, and Rachel in the car and they take off to the police station, which does, did nobody hear gunshots go off at that police station? I mean, what in the world? But anyway, they, you know, they take them off and then you see Michael's been there the whole time and he's just standing there. But even the way George Wilbur, you know, looks, it, 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 you know, if you go back to Halloween one, see how Nick Castle looks when he's like, there was like this intention that Nick Castle had. Like when he's looking at Laurie Strode among the laundry in Halloween one, you know, he's just got this intentional stare. Whereas George Wilbur just seems to be like, looks like stoned Michael Myers. Well, and that, that's what I was about to, I was, I was about to touch on that. Sorry. I'm, this is my first time podcasting. So I'm just interrupting at times when I shouldn't, I'm sorry, but basically like, yeah, like I think about that mask. I actually don't think the mask looks that bad. I just think there's no personality to it. Right. There's some, there's a personality to the Michael Myers mask in the first two movies and this. It, yeah. Like you, like you said, stone Michael Myers. It's, he almost it's almost like the ghost face mask from scary movie <laughs> instead of like the yeah. ghost face mask from the scream movies it's really weird and and also with that scene where those teenagers are about to get shot did that remind anybody of jaws with the two kids swimming with the shark fins over their head oh that's right that's, <laughs> that's right. what it reminds yeah, me i had of. thought about that but yeah that's a good point but i i don't know i get that you know the mask is new right it's not his old mask he steals a, right. uh, a mask i'm not sure you know, 10 years of Haddonfield, they'd still be selling that mask, but whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah, but he's, he, he gets this new mask. That's fine. It is a new mask. Um, but it just looks, it looks odd. I mean, it just, and because I think Tom Morgo was the first one to complain that he had a hard time seeing out of the mask. And like the director yelled at the visual effects guy to cut bigger eye holes. And he's like, there's going to be continuity issues with that. You're going to reshoot. Plus, I can't do that. It, it's going to look weird. And and again, Dwight Little's response was, well, then you're fired. You know, that was his <laughs> response to everything. But I don't know. I uh, Jackson, what do you think of the mask? I think it, it definitely looks dopey. It definitely looks weird. Like with the combed back hair, that was a really odd choice. Um, and uh, I, I have to ask, I mean, we've been railing on the mask. I kind of like his bandaged up look. Like when he kills the mechanic, I kind of yeah. like the way yes. he looks there. Yeah. I know they didn't want to take any risks. Like they did, that Michael was coming back and they were going to make him look as much like the original as they could because they didn't want to upset people. Right. But honestly, and dad, I know how much you like you like uh, Baghead Jason from, uh-huh. from Friday <laughs> Part 2. I'm yeah. wondering if, would this movie have been better if we had had bandaged michael yeah i i i can't see mustafa akkad you know what i've read about him i i don't think he was gonna take any risks like i mean if you get the opportunity to team back up with john carpenter deborah hill and you just cut them off immediately because they're not bringing back michael you know and the mask and all that kind of stuff then he was pretty committed to it right he's then and to be fair this is his five million dollars so, and he wanted to play it safe. I, I agree with you though, Jackson. I thought it did look cool. You know, like, you know, when he stabs the mechanic, you know, and I thought that was great, which by the way, they were gonna shoot that where he stabs him through the throat and they cut that because I thought it would get a X rating, but I, or an NC-17, but 
but I, the chains, uh, the mechanic hanging from the chains S and M style was okay for the rating. I'm not really I, sure. Yeah. And there was a lot of cocaine well, in Hollywood in the '80s, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, think about all the things the MPA was cutting back then. I mean, they, I'm, I, I, that I can understand in some ways, like in terms of you keep thinking that there may be more blood and gore in this movie. And if they were literally thinking we'll get like, instead of actually waiting for the MPA to cut it and they just kind of did what they thought they would get away with. I think that that's actually kind of interesting choice. Yeah, um, and, there and was, there was do that, but yeah. Yeah. There was supposed to be nudity in that scene with Kathleen Kinmont and they cut that out uh, as well. So that's, that's another one. That oh, I think oh, I will tell you that in the theater, so I'm in the theater, it's like a one o'clock on a Saturday in Universal City. And I'm sitting there, and like I said, there's, I mean, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, maybe there were 15, 20 people in the theater. What wasn't a lot, but this theater sat like probably 400. I mean, it, you know, and so there's only a scattering of people there and mainly guys, it was like 80% guys. And when they cut away in that scene by the fireplace, three or four guys went, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that there was probably just like a couple seconds extra footage and then they just cut it. Like they probably just had her take your top off, had it for like two seconds and they just decided, no, we're not doing that. I don't know. I think Dwight H. Little talked about that. He was like, Mustafa Akkad wanted to cut that. He may have thought that there was another thing they couldn't get past the ratings board and maybe sacrifice that for maybe a kill later on in the movie or something. Well, Sasha Jensen, when I saw him interview, the guy who plays Brady, um, he, he went to the same high school as Kathleen Kenmont and had a crush on her and said she wouldn't give me oh, the boy. time of day. <laughs> and, you know, she goes, it was like a dream come true. But there's like as soon as they were done making out and the director calls cut, she's like, uh, see you, Sasha. And she just walked off. He's like, no, this is this should be the start of something beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations, uh, uh, Mustafa Akkad. You officially blue-balled probably almost <laughs> half the audience in the theaters back then. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. But, oh, anyway, let's talk about the kills. We've referenced, you know, several. As much as I love the ambulance scene, I still don't get why Beekler went for the forehead instead of the eye. That's just kind of weird. But do you guys have a favorite kill in this movie i mean i like i said i love the ambulance scene we brought up you know if you want to say the um the impaling by shotgun you know with kathleen kinmont who said and she also when she was interviewed she said that was incredibly uncomfortable um uh, to go through that scene but do you have a favorite kill trey yeah i don't know if one stands out more than the others i do like the shotgun kill again the forehead thing's kind of ridiculous yeah um, but, you know, this isn't a Fulci movie either, so they're not going for the eyes. Um, well, that would have been interesting. Yes, yeah. Interesting. yeah. Fulci. Lucio Fulci's Halloween 4. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not at that time in his career if this was 1988. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's not it's just like in the one and two there are just so many kills that are just like etched into my mind yeah and when i'm thinking back i'm trying to think before this movie like what's going on i don't know if any like stood out to me that i remembered and i don't know if that's the same for any of you or not or i don't know ian what do you think is it do they stand out at all i mean that's a fair question um, is that maybe they just not, don't stand out not necessarily but i do there the one kill that's my favorite and it's probably like the one really bloody gory standout in this is like that 
head twist on uh, on Earl, the bartender, oh, yeah. when he mm-hmm. like they, they twist his head and like sort of rips his throat out. It's a very weird. I I don't think I've ever seen a kill really done like that, where like he you twist his head, but it's it's almost like he's ripping his throat out at the same time, even though it yep. doesn't seem like he's actually doing that. Well, I mean, the that throat was probably, rip. I don't was, know if that's a real thing or not, but according to Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, it is possible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, that one, that's probably the best one. And it probably shows, you know, probably so John Carl Beekler's abilities the most out of anything in this movie, other than that severed arm we see in the police station with that one cop. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and then I really like the there's an aftermath to a kill that I really like, which was a nod to deliverance where uh, Deputy Logan, the most useless deputy in movie history, yeah. has like his arm tucked behind his head. Like uh, I think he White H. Little said that was an, uh, a nod to Ronnie Cox in deliverance when you see his body. Oh, interesting. OK, I, I didn't even think of that. Um, I Jackson, didn't either. What, until he yeah, said I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Jackson, what about you? What do you think? I, I do love that that kill of, with the deputy. I think it, it well we don't see it, but it is an odd aftermath. Like like with when she lights the when she puts the light up to his face, and it's like just like a really odd look. Um, it's it's very surreal. Uh, it's the most surreal kill I think in the movie. And I also yeah I really do like that kill where the guy's driving the truck and Michael almost like kind of half beheads them with his bare fingers. It's it is a really cool uh, kill that is very very giallo, very surreal, just the throat rip. Uh, yeah, like Patrick Swayze he would be proud um but uh but yeah the the kills in this do do blend together a little bit i think because we don't know the characters as well number one and number two a lot of them are off screen i mean we see the result and we see michael actually going in to do the kill but we don't see the actual impact of the kill so it's not as as meaningful um it's like like friday part seven um the kills in that were cut down so so like to appease the ratings board uh, and that was around the same time right this this would be uh, around the same the same era with the mpaa um so they were really trying to appease them like the sleeping bag kill i mean we get the one impact and it doesn't really feel satisfying is that cut footage where he's just uh, hitting it again and again and again until it's just a bag of blood um so i think if we had seen uh the mechanic getting stabbed in the throat if we had actually seen um like a pillow being stabbed with the shotgun um i i and we had seen maybe how deputy whatever his name is what what's the deputy's name again logan that's logan. right if we had seen deputy logan uh seen how he gets in that position i'm not even sure michael was posing him for a while it seems uh i think that that the kills would have been elevated but as is you know there are there are a few really gnarly uh effect shots and um but but honestly, I think I'm gonna go with the forehead drill. That is, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about it. At least <laughs> at least it's to the forehead. <laughs> yeah, at least it's memorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you guys say that because the forehead and I believe the neck twist too were the ones they reshot afterwards. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's all. And the the irony of that, of course, is uh, Jackson was talking about the, you know, the sleeping bag thing that was cut from Friday Thirteenth Part Seven. Who directed Friday Thirteenth Part Seven and who did the special effects here? John Carl Beekler. He did both. That's and, crazy. And, and he's, he's had a rough who, time with the MPAA. Yes, he, he, he made the very strong statement that uh, Friday 13th Part 7, he said the MPAA raped my movie, was his quote. So that's, uh, that's pretty strong stuff. Um, so Alan McElroy wrote this, and like I said, to his credit, in 11 days. 
Um, and he had notes from one, two, three people um, along with Mustafa Akkad. So that's, you know, God bless the guy. He would go on to write Spawn, the movie Spawn. He also wrote the original Wrong Turn, which is interesting. So the guy's obviously a genre fan. Um, and so he claims that they, with the exception of budgetary constraints, they shot the movie that he wrote largely. Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, I... I'm going to go ahead and state it. I do like this movie. I liked it when I walked out. I walked out of theater and I thought, on the one hand, this is, it does suffer a bit because, like Jackson was talking about earlier, if you watch Halloween 1 and 2 and then you watch this one, it is very clear Dean Kundi is no longer behind the camera. Mm -hmm. It's not shot nearly as well. Don't you, do you agree with that or disagree, Trey? No, I mean, I agree with that. I agree it is not shot as well, but there's just still something about it. You know, it's not, maybe it's not up to the quality for me personally of like Halloween, Halloween two, but there's still something about this movie. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. So Ian, what do you think? Uh, I mean, in terms of how it was shot, I, I, I thought it was shot fine. Not as good as the first two Halloweens, but it's, you know, it, it works. It does, it does what it uh, was, uh, you know, it does, does what it's supposed to do, at least for me. Um, I think, if you're trying to ask me how I feel about the movie, I mean, I like it quite a bit as well. I think part of that could be nostalgia for how I felt about it when I first sure. watched it. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, this was, this was definitely the movie that got me into the series. I think the first time I watched the first Halloween, I, I liked it, but I just, it was kind of just like, Oh, well, it's another movie. I feel about a different, I feel differently about it now. But when I watched this one, I was like, okay, I get it now, <laughs> you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I really like, um, I don't think we've talked much about this yet, but that that sort of not opening sort of nightmare sequence that Danielle Harris has. I really yep. like that where oh, I don't even scene. know if it's all a nightmare, but it's uh, I, I really enjoy uh, that scene and I enjoy everything in the house. I, I feel like you almost think more of this movie took place in that house than it actually does. Uh, and I'm talking about the sheriff's house. The sheriff's house. Scene in that, yeah. Every, every, every scene in that house has a lot of tension and notice how Michael doesn't really make any moves until the sheriff and Loomis are gone. I'm, I mean, he's obviously not afraid of them, but I don't think, I think he doesn't really make a move until he, you know, the authority, the, the authority figures who probably could at least stand up to him are gone. Well, maybe not Loomis. He doesn't want to kill Loomis anyway, it seems like, but at least with the sheriff anyways, he doesn't, he waits until everybody's gone to start doing anything. Yeah. Jackson, what about you? I, I think uh, visually, it definitely is a step down from Halloween one and two. It's it's different. Um, it, it's it feels more frantic, the camera work, and more claustrophobic. It's definitely more mobile. I feel like, um, whereas Halloween one and two were more mannered and three, um, but they're more mannered and slow and plotting. Whereas with this movie, it's just kind of moving all around, lots of tight shots, lots of lots of character shots. Um, whereas I think with with like I said, Halloween one and two, they tried to study the scenery a little bit more. Um, but, uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels a little bit cheaper. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's possible, but it definitely feels a little bit cheaper and more slashery than the first two. The first two feel more like significant, whereas this one is, is more cheesy fun. Um, but, but again, I, I do, I do really like this movie as far as Halloween sequels go. This, this ranks really high. I think it's, it's between, uh, this and Halloween, uh, Halloween 2018 is my third favorite of the series. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's. 
and it, it definitely benefits from its the the later entries. I think if we had just gone Halloween four, then H two O, and then twenty eighteen, this movie would feel like the worst. Um, but uh, but again, like I said, I mean this is technically the beginning of the Thorn, uh, the Thorn trilogy, uh, um, which I even, like. You oh, like the Thorn trilogy? Yes, Whoa. I do. That's my <laughs> favorite part of the franchise. I'm not talk, so oh. I know this is this is the era that got you into Halloween. So I won't judge too much, but I have no attachment nostalgically to any of them. I kind of watched them all in a row the first time I, I saw the Halloween series, um, and of course they had all been out except Halloween 2018 for for many years. Uh, so I have no attachment to them at all. Uh, I I definitely uh, understand this movie, why this is nostalgic for some people. It definitely does feel warm and fuzzy. It's kind of a little bit uh, surreal. It's kind of a little bit meta. Um, and it is it is a fun slasher compared to the first two. It's, it's less suspenseful. Um, but visually, editing-wise, pace-wise, it, it, it definitely suffers in comparison to the first two. Yeah, yeah I have to agree with that, But I, although I do like it. But... All right, folks, what else do we want to talk about? Whatever, if you have notes or whatever, any scenes, any kills, any anything you want to talk about. And so, Trey, I'll go to you first. What else do you, anything else you want to talk about with Halloween 4? Yeah, we touched on it earlier. Um, so the very end, the twist at the yeah. end. Um, I know that kind of Jackson didn't seem like he was a big fan of that. But do we think that might have been a plot point left in from the original as well? Like what? was initially pitched or anything like that like that psychic connection more of like instead of michael myers being a physical being being that more you know yeah it's i think though the way i understand there there are two books out there that i'll recommend to people um called taking shape and taking shape two written by i believe his name is dustin mcneil and taking shape talks about the build up and uh, to all the different movies from Halloween uh, all the way up to Halloween 2018 and taking shape Two talks about all the proposed sequels that didn't happen. Um, I, I think what Carpenter was looking to do originally with Halloween four was, you know, that there would be killers in Haddonfield, but they're killers because they've kind of, you know, they've given in to their PTSD from the whole Michael Myers incident. And so it's kind of that kind of thing. I don't think he was going with a psychic connection. But then again, you know, it's it's there have been so many taking shape too. if you read that book about the proposed sequels. I mean, they were sending Michael Myers to space long before Pimp had Jason. <laughs> I mean, they had Michael Myers going to space in 1990. I mean, you know, it's yeah. it's bonkers there. So it, wow. that very well could have been in a script somewhere, because one of the things I noticed in reading both of the books is that um, a lot of plot points show up in sequels that were proposed in earlier drafts by screenwriters. So that, that could have been because, you know, it does show that there were like three people who were giving notes to the screenwriter who had read earlier drafts and the carpenter pitch and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it could have shown okay. up that way. Yeah. I was just curious. And that's, it's interesting. You say all those different takes. Cause I know, uh, Carpenter wanted to take like the Halloween three format and like make that, you know, an anthology kind of yeah. going forward. So that's very interesting to hear that. But I assumed that maybe you or Ian would know since it seemed like you were watching the commentaries and everything beforehand. And so, 
I have not gotten my new Shout Factory Halloween 4 yet. I'm waiting to get it. Um, I don't think it's out yet. Yeah, I, I don't think it comes out till October, I don't think. But I, I yeah, really like wish I already had it. Yeah, I, I wish because I pre-ordered all five of them that they're doing them, and I, and I just haven't received them yet. I can't wait to get my hands on them. So, but, so I don't know. But I didn't see it. I don't remember anything from Taking Shape, you know, about that. I will say that, you know, and it was actually John Carpenter's idea to send Michael Myers to space, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> he wanted to, he was going to be brought in for Halloween 6. And, you know, and he was going to be brought in for Halloween H2O. He was approached, you know, about both of them. Um, and so with Halloween H2O, he said, either give me $10 million or give me a percentage of the gross. And the Weinsteins, being the pieces of garbage they are, said no to both. Huh. And um, we got Ghost to Mars. And then we got Ghost to Mars instead. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, his idea, Carpenter's idea in the early 90s, that would have led into, would have been replaced Curse of Michael Myers. His idea was that they come to a point where they realize they cannot kill Michael Myers. He is the boogeyman. He is some kind of supernatural being. We can't, we can't control him. We can't kill him. So they decide to shoot him into space. Kind of like a uh -huh. Superman kind of, you know, thing, right? What yeah. they do with General Zod, you know, uh -huh. we'll just send him out there. And so they shoot him out and guess where he, there's an accident. He crashes into a space station <laughs> and he goes crazy. Uh, and this was pitched to several people who would later be executives behind Jason X. Ah, uh, uh, so it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it all kind of intersects there. But uh, eh, oh well. Um, so, what else do we want to talk about here, Ian? What What do you want to talk about, buddy? Uh, I really like that whole scene uh, at the service station. Uh, that that yes. sequence is, is really good. When uh, And I'm talking about the, the part when Loomis shows up. They definitely want you to know it's Illinois by how many different pictures of Abraham Lincoln they have on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. I, I love the I love the like the dolly zoom shot and how genuine Loomis is when he's basically just like Michael, just kill me, you know, leave these people alone yeah. and how, you know, he shoots at him and then he disappears. Uh, I'm going to assume until I'm told otherwise that Donald Pleasance actually did that stunt where he dives away from the explosion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. According to Dwight Little, he was not in good physical shape. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. And then um, the the sort of sequence that feels like it's out of like an SNL skit where the beer belly lynch mob kills that one guy uh, by accident. I just find hilarious. It's 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 uh -huh. it's funny to me. It, I, it's just like, oh, let's just shoot at anything we see, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and coming from a small Appalachian town, unfortunately, yep. I can see that happening. So, yep, I'll um, back you up on that, too. I've seen. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I, I live in a place where people believe wrestling is real, and uh, you cannot believe how many NASCAR <laughs> decals you can find on a in a person's yep. home. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jackson, what about you? What else do you want to touch on, buddy? Well, from that that scene with the with the redneck uh, justice team, <laughs> the justice mob, I was actually getting silver bullet uh, flashbacks. I was like, oh boy, this is this yeah. again. Um, yeah, and I, it definitely does feel Lynchian. That that feels straight out of Twin Peaks. I mean, the bar closing down and then they decide to take justice into their own hands. That is very Twin Peaks. Um, so yeah, I love that little side plot. I love that Loomis accidentally basically kills that guy by telling them that Michael Myers is on the loose. He basically kills that guy that they 
shoot. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, and Loomis in this movie. I mean, I know we've talked about him at length already, but I just love him so much. He's just he's just fantastic. I mean, in that scene where he's introduced, he doesn't even hesitate. Like as soon as he hears the doctor say, apparently there was an accident, he's already on the move. I mean, and he's probably <laughs> yeah. feeling for his gun. Um, so I just I just love Loomis in this movie. Um, it's so entertaining whenever he's on screen. Uh, and he has kind of a villain introduction, doesn't he? I mean, the first time we see him, it's from the back as he walks down that hospital highway uh, hallway. And then it's like a like a dramatic reveal of him walking through the door with his burned face. It's kind of like a villain reveal. And that is kind of getting into, I think Ian was talking about this. As the movies go on, who's worse? You know, because I think they're both equally crazy. Loomis is like his own brand of crazy um, as the movies go on. So I, th- I think that's really interesting. It's almost like Michael is, is uh, in, in his search to to kill Michael, he's kind of becoming what he seeks to destroy. Um but uh, and one more funny note I had while, while I was uh, watching the movie, uh, when Jamie gets picked up from from school, I wrote, Jamie says exactly what she wants. She wants a Halloween costume and she wants double scoop ice cream. It was never an either or situation. <laughs> sure. For her. I love that. And, and to, not to 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 her credit, she had just been chased what I assume is about two miles from school uh, by 50 elementary school kids chanting, Jamie's an orphan, which I didn't know happened. Uh, maybe I, I just got lucky, but uh, but yeah. So so I I would want ice cream and a Halloween costume too. You deserve it, Jamie. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and 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 I have something. So a real life yeah. thing that echoes here. So the the part when uh, Ellie Cornell uh, knocks down that like display of all those cards inside the store when she's running to Jamie. I'm thinking to myself, I'm a shelf stalker. Do you know how long that would take to clean up? Oh. <laughs> I really hope she stayed there and helped them clean it up afterwards. <laughs> Uh, she's not, you know, it's a, she's interesting because, you know, Dwight Little had to fight to get her cast. Um, I Mustafa like Card, I, I liked her fine, but Mustafa Akkad did not want her. Um, Dwight Little did have to fight for her because he thought she just looked perfectly Midwestern and all other kind of stuff. But, yeah, she's not above being a bit selfish, is she? It's like the little yeah, yeah, rant yeah. she, she goes on about her poor, you know, what do you mean I can't go out on a date i gotta take care of a foster child and i'm just like wow yeah apparently in what happened i mean working that way (laughs) oh man oh man oh she goes from this somewhat selfish you know snobby snobby teenage girl to someone who's capable of you know protecting her sister and and you know holding her own against michael myers and i think even brady and uh what's her name kelly are not not really cardboard characters in terms of the roles they're playing like brady's supposed to be like the jock boyfriend and he's actually He's actually a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, what he does later, you know, to sacrifice himself, I think is, you know, pretty admirable. Kelly, uh, I don't know. She's not she's not that much more than a cardboard character, but at least we see that she's, you know, a- capable of making her own decisions, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I've seen interviews uh, with the actor, uh, Sasha Jensen, who played um, Brady, and and he said he has a hard time imagining Brady is a ladies man he said mainly because he was not one and he said i think he's just trying to trying to um get his game on and he's never had game before was the way he well, said he, he approached it 
think about think about uh, what Rachel does. Like he he's you know like in terms of that whole thing where she tells him at like you know four or five o'clock that you know her, their, their plans were canceled. He's it's perfectly reasonable then to be like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? <laughs> You know, well, sure. But at the same time, I mean, he could always dress up like Michael Myers and join that gang and gone around just scared people. So <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not like he had no he had no option. He, he, had, he had things going on. I mean, I grew up in a small town. You can always go corn cars or something. Um, there's something to there's something to do. So uh, this movie, where do we want to if we're ready, ready for our ratings and, and, and recommendations here on a scale from one to ten? What would you rate Halloween for uh, the return of Michael Myers? And would you tell people, you know, just stream it and check it out, blind buy it? What do you think? Trey, what do you think? Um, so this one's, there's a, probably a little bit of nostalgia. Like I mentioned, I'd watched this when I was younger and I was just watching, you know, a handful of horror movies here or there that were on TV. And this is one that's just always stuck up. That moment on the stairs at the end always like sticks with me. Um, for better or for worse, I saw that when I was younger and it just stuck around with me. And I do get, you know, there's really good vibes of like the Halloween season and the fall and everything in here. Um, so it's just a very nostalgic movie for me that I love watching this time of year, every year. Uh, so I'd come in probably around like an 8.5. Um, oh, this wow. is probably my third favorite in the series, I would say, behind one and two. Um, if you haven't seen it before, maybe it's one you want to stream. But I mean, I would I buy about everything, so I would recommend to buy it <laughs> if you like it. So, are you going to have a uh, a problem one of these days, like Doctor Shock, where you know there's like <laughs> there's some like there's some tension because you've got you know you've got DVDs <laughs> and Blu-rays everywhere. Not yet. I haven't got to hiding them anywhere. I but my two <laughs> shelves are pretty much full. I'm getting close to that four-digit number, and I'm running out of a little space. So. I got you. I got you. Um, Ian, what about you? What would you rate this on a scale of one to ten? And what would you recommend listeners do? Should they, if they, should they buy it? Should they own it? Should they just stream it? What do you think? Uh, I'd probably give it an eight. Um, I tend to rate things a little higher, anyways. I, I may have even used to, you know, probably my older rating for this would have been like a nine, but uh, it's it's gone down like just a tiny bit. But I think the nostalgia still holds strong for it. So an eight, and I would say. Uh, buy it if you're a fan of the series, for sure. All right, Jackson, what about you, pal? I'm coming in a bit lower. You know me. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I did. Critic. Yeah. I did. I did say that I enjoyed it more my first watch. I think I gave that four stars in Letterbox my first time, so that would be about an eight out of ten. Now I'm coming in between a six point five and a seven. Uh, I do think that it suffered in comparison watching the first two movies beforehand, um, like right before, you know. So it definitely did suffer a little bit. But again, maybe maybe my rating will go up after watching five and six. I have no idea. But right now, six point five out of, uh, out of between six point five and a seven. So I guess that's like a six point seven five if we're going by like the dot the the quarters uh, uh, rating system. But I buy it. I I own it on DVD. I watched it on Amazon. Amazon uh, with the AMC Plus subscription this time, but um, yeah, DVD. I would say it's a, you don't need the the 4K Blu-ray or whatever unless you you want those special features. Um, but uh, yeah, I say right. buy at 6.5 between a seven, and this is this is necessary. You know, if you wanna if you wanna get into into the Halloween franchise, you can't just skip this one. You know, I I do recommend you watch it. Um, so yeah, that's 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 my rating. I'm a harsh critic. I know I'm I'm hard to please, but uh, but yeah, that's that's where I stand. I'm in between all you guys. I'm going with a seven. 
uh, seven out of ten. But I can't say not to buy it because I've bought it twice. So um, <laughs> I had it on DVD, and now I've got the Shout Factory Blu-ray on its way eventually. So I, I've got to say buy it. I do want to see um, the special features. And the artwork on the new Screen Factory stuff is really cool, if you've seen it. I think it looks really cool. So, all right, folks. Well, this episode was made possible because of our Patreon supporters, uh, supporters over at Patreon, and you can become one for as little as $2.50 a month. I don't see a dime of it. All of it goes to Jackson to help him get through um, film school. No pressure, Jackson, but you've got to make straight A's. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> we appreciate that. You can go over to patreon.com and search for Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. So, gents, where can people find you online? Trey, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Trey W underscore 73 and Letterboxd. I think it's Trey W, but the link's in my Twitter. Um, right now you can go over there. I'm, I've started my 31 days of Halloween on a 61 day Halloween. So I've started viewing movies and putting my list together over there. So you can follow that if you want to. And I can vouch because I follow Trey on Letterboxd. He watches everything. Trey watches everything. So you definitely need to check out his reviews if you're looking for something to watch. So Ian, what about you, buddy? Where can I find you? Uh, you can find me at Urzanomics on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you can add me on Facebook if you want. And uh, you can find me on Letterboxd if you just search Ian Urza. Um, not many other people have that name. So there you go. And I usually, you know, log pretty much everything I watch on there and try to, you know, do quick reviews of certain things if I can. So you can check that out. Good deal. Good deal. Jackson, what about you, pal? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, you can find my letterbox and my YouTube link from there. And uh, yes, I, I'm I'm looking forward to, to reviewing another movie coming up. Yep. I'm going to be watching a new release malignant this week so I'll, I'll let everybody yes. know how i feel on twitter and letterboxd uh, i don't know what to expect very mixed things i know trey you were hot on it yeah uh, and my dad was mixed on it so uh i don't know who, who oh, i think it's I, but but as i, I told trey it. earlier i think you should i definitely think you should see it jacks i think it's worth seeing i think it's a well shot film and um but i just i you know what and i said this on my letterboxd review i said I'm just not sure because I saw something coming. There are certain things that bug me, but there are other things I thought were awesome. So, you know, it, but you're going to have a good time watching it. Yeah, good deal. And and again, uh, Letterboxd, I'm I, you, you'll find it very interesting. My, uh, my diary is like train spotting. It'll be malignant, some random giallo, and then Toy Story because right now I'm in a film appreciation class. So we're um, my my diary pretty much looks like whatever uh, I'm I'm assigned to watch. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing again. Yes, uh, in film school right now, actually recording in my dorm. So this is this is uh, an interesting experience. I gotcha. So I can be found on uh, Twitter and Letterbox. That's Pastor Matt R. And we will be recording the next entry will actually be Halloween five and six, a double bill with the revenge of Michael Myers and the curse of Michael Myers. And who are we having on for that, Jackson? We've got two two heavy hitters, um, returning guests. Uh, you know them well. 
Greg Bench, uh, who has become a verb on Land of the yes. Creeps, um, and Haddonfield Hatchet. So it's it's an LOTC get-together uh, for Halloween yeah. 5 and 6. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, we have differing opinions, I, I think. So definitely tune in no matter who who you agree with. I'm, this I'm sure will be interesting because I know that Haddonfield Hatchet likes Halloween 6. I don't know what As Greg's opinion Wolfman is. Wolfman Josh. I don't, I don't know really- where it's... I'm pretty sure, or maybe, am I thinking of Joel? Is is that Joel's opinion? He, Joel, if you if you like no, Halloween Five and Six, I, I can't that back Wolfman's you on that one. I think Wolfman's Josh's opinion was that he can't say that he likes Halloween Six or Halloween Resurrection or Halloween Two, but he likes parts of them. I think was his statement. That's that's fair. You know, that's 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 a balanced approach. But anyway, I will yeah. tell you that I took a girlfriend at the time to see Halloween Six when it dropped to the theater. And um, and I like this girl, and we walked out of the theater, and she'd seen all the Halloween movies. She was a horror fan, and she looked at me, and she said, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame her. I'll just leave that at that. So, folks, we thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next time for Halloween 5 and 6, before we march on, and we'll have an episode after that with Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. Then Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2, leading up to, you know, hopefully drop around exactly on Halloween when we have Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, which drops both to theaters and to Peacock on the same day. I will see it in theaters, and then I'll watch it on Peacock probably several times that weekend, if I had to guess. Folks, thanks for tuning in. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember, nothing can erase the traumatic memory of stabbing your foster mom in a clown costume, except maybe Haddonfield ice cream. Double scoops, of course. (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for listening again. We appreciate it. Remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, James McFeeders, Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis and Pearl from Land of the Creeps, Raul Rivera, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes. Where are you heading, Mr. Uh, Loomis? Haddonfield. Car trouble? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs>